0: <clears throat> well, good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Thanks to Brian for his words of welcome. First time in the church. Brian's asked me, were you ever here before? He says "Well, will have drove past many times. But uh, it's good to be here this morning. Good to be amongst you. I've always heard good reports around Lurgan of field, So it's just really good to be here today. And uh, thank you for coming out this morning around the word of the Lord. So, I want to read this morning, please, in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 27. Brian has picked his hymns really well this morning, especially that last one. always amazes me. Of course, it couldn't because the Spirit of God leads, but it always amazes me the way the hymns are picked sometimes in a strange church and how it all dovetails together. And that's just real uh, a blessing when, uh, when things happen like that, and it's an encouragement. And so, we're heading into... The Gospel of Matthew this morning in chapter 27, and we're at the cross. And that's a good place to be. In fact, it's the best place to be. And so we're turning to Matthew twenty seven and we're beginning to read at verse thirty three. <coughs> Matthew twenty seven, thirty-three and when they were come onto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull. They gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then there were two thieves, crucified him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Now that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and the elders said, He saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour, there was a darkness over all the land, until the ninth hour, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani." That is to say, "My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me?" Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, "This man calls for Elijah." And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar, and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, "Let be; let us see whether Elijah will come to save him." Jesus. When they had cried again with a loud voice, he lit up his ghost, oh, he lit up the ghost, <coughs> and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks ran, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. And when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly this was the Son of God. And the Lord will bless his word to us this morning. Let's just come before him. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you this morning that the book that we have on our hands is the holy, inspired word of the living God. Thank you that we have it in our mother tongue. Thank you for the freedom and liberty that we enjoy and are able to look at it and read it and study it this morning. And we just pray now, God, that as we turn to his pages, we ask for help and we ask for your blessing and we ask that you would give us the fineness of the week today. In Jesus' name. Amen. The morning, This morning, I want to talk to you about the greatest day in the history of this world. It's the greatest day that this world has ever seen. There's no doubt about that. The day of the crucifixion. The death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now theologians and Bible commentators tell us that the probable date of the crucifixion, this great day of crucifixion, this day of the death of our Lord, was April the 7th, AD 30. Now it's a great study if you have time, sometime. To do it, to try and look at the dates. Um, just as a footnote, by way of interest, one of the best books to do that is a book by the name of The Coming Prince. It's written by a man called Sir Robert Anderson. It's an old book, but it's in reprint. And, uh, he was a great Bible theologian, and he's able to go back into the book of Daniel to the 70th week, and, and, and then trace the dates right through. And the probable date of the crucifixion was April the 7th, AD 30, in the city of Jerusalem. It was busy. It was during the the feast of the Passover. And uh, the night before, the Lord Jesus is arrested in Gethsemane. And he uh, is betrayed by Judas by uh, the betrayer's kiss. And he leaves the Mount of Olives, Gethsemane. And he comes down the Kidron Brook into the house of Caiaphas, it was in round about a fifteen-minute walk. I actually, believe it or not, never thought about that. Though this morning, I was out for a walk early. I was listening uh, on my uh, in the ears uh, on a sermon by Alistair Begg this morning, and uh, it was in round about <clears throat> three miles or so, or in round about a mile sorry, from the pinnacle of the. Mount of Olives, where the Lord Jesus was, down the Mount of Olives, Gethsemane and so on, across the Kedron book, to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. Of course he sent from Caiaphas, you know, from the house of Caiaphas to Pilate. He sent from Pilate to Herod, Herod and his men of war, sent him but not. And then he sent back to Pilate. And when he comes back to Pilate, of course, the greatest force of any trial, of any court, of any judge that ever took place happened in Fortress Antonio in Jerusalem. I mean Pilate himself said, I find no fault in this man at all. And then of course his sentence was this, Take ye him. I remember he asked a great question, what shall I do then with Jesus which is called Christ? And then threw on by the crowd and the chants and the cheers, then he said, Listen to it, take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Do you remember how he took the bowl of water and washed his hands and said, I'm innocent of the blood of this man. And he took his cross from Fortress Antonio. He carried his cross through the streets of Jerusalem, the Via Della Rosa, outside the city gate. And then Luke says that when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, the place of a skull, Calvary, Golgotha, Calvary. There they crucified him. Poet said, greatest of mystery, moment of history. Scheduled and planned, and counsel is divine. Human extremity, unfailing remedy. Love of her more in his fullness doth shine. Thirty-three prophecies at least were fulfilled at the cross on this great day. <clears throat> it had it been prophesied. In the Old Testament, the Psalms, Isaiah, Malachi, Micah, so on. And they were prophesied at the cross as the Lord Jesus hung upon him (coughs) with nails in his hands and feet, crown of thorns upon his brow and suffered and bled and he died for the human race, for you and for me. Mrs. Alexander from Derry wrote in that great hymn, There was no other good enough. To pay the price of sin, it was only him and him alone could open the gate. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. I want to think this morning about four miracles that took place at the cross and to be done for half twelve. Four miracles that took place on this great day. I want you to look at verse 45 first of all. Verse 45, and our young brother Nathan has told us already this morning about the sky. I want to think about a miracle in the sky because verse 40 says this, 45 says this now. From the sixth hour there was a darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. A miracle in the sky. Matthew is, uh, the Gospel of Matthew is is written to the Jews. And uh, Matthew's very... uh, Time after time in this gospel great, places great importance on time in the scripture. If you read the gospel, Matthew, the twentieth chapters, you'll notice that Matthew's very specific at times on the times. And so let's remember that the Jewish day began at 6 a.m., okay? So our day begins at 12 midnight, at one second past midnight, we're in the Monday morning today. And so the Jewish day began at 6 a.m., and so Matthew tells us that from the sixth hour, from 12 noon, sixth hour, 12 noon as we know it, until the ninth hour, that's three o'clock in the afternoon, there was a great darkness <coughs> over all the land. Now, some, of course, try and say that it was some sort of an eclipse. And uh, of course, we know that it was a God sent darkness. Matthew and Mark tell us that there was a darkness over all the land, over all the land. It's interesting to see that Luke tells us that there was a darkness over all the earth, whether it was a global darkness or not. Certainly there was a darkness over all the land and over all the earth. And uh, Elizabeth Clefey in that great hymn wrote this, none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed or how dark was the night that the Lord passed through Early he found the sheep That was lost. Campbell Morgan in his book on the cross says this, it was an act of God in infinite tenderness. God wraps the earth in darkness in the hours of his son's supreme suffering. God, Campbell Morgan says, he wraps the earth in darkness in the hours of his son's supreme suffering. Do you remember back in the land of Egypt in Exodus chapter 11? Do you remember how the plagues came? Do you remember every time that Moses went, he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, and God sends a plague. Well, in the last plague, uh, before the Passover, before the angel of death passed through the land of Egypt, it was a plague of darkness. There was a three days of darkness in the land of Egypt before the lamb was slain. And there was three hours of darkness at the cross when the Lamb of God suffered for our sin. Darkness, of course, in the Bible speaks as a symbol of God's judgment. And the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son and human flesh, suffered the judgment of God. Galatians 3 and verse 3 reminds us that cursed is everyone who hangs upon the tree. And the Son of God was made a curse for us. As he suffered and as he bled and paid the great price of our sin. A miracle, a miracle in the sky. I want you to look at at verse 51 because the second miracle at the cross is this. Not only have we a miracle in the sky, but we have a miracle in the sanctuary. And in verse 51, it tells us that, or 50 tells us that Jesus, when he had cried with a loud voice, yielded up up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, (coughs) and the rocks did rent. Miracle in the sky. And I want you to think about a miracle in the sanctuary, in the temple in Jerusalem. This was amazing. This great veil uh, in the temple, it was used, of course, to guard the holy place. And uh, this great veil in the temple was made up of (coughs) 72 squares of fabric. It was 60 feet high and 30 feet wide. You have to be of a certain age to be still in feet. The younger fellows are in meters now. But that's what that's 60 is about 18 meters, isn't it? 18 meters high by about 9 meters wide or 60 feet by 30 feet if you're still in the old school like me. It was 4 inches thick, 100 millimeter thick this great veil in the temple, this curtain. And when the Lord Jesus cried, finished upon the cross, which we'll think about at the table this morning, and when he had cried this loud voice and and gave up the spirit, the veil of the temple, this great veil was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Not that men could have done it, but if men were going to do it, they'd have started at the bottom and tried to rip it from the bottom to the top. But God rent the veil from the top to the bottom. What force? Some of the commentators say if a horse had been tied either side of the veil and tried to pull it the opposite road, they couldn't have done it. The veil of the temple was rent in two. It was made of linen. It was made of, of yarn. We can go back into the book of Exodus in chapter 26. Do you remember on the Day of Atonement when the high priest went into the tabernacle and when he come to the holy place, once a year is all he could come. He come right in to the holy place and he had the to uh, announce for his own sins, an end for the sins of the people on the Day of Atonement. And what God was doing was opening the way. It was the end of the old system. I want you to take a look at Hebrews chapter 10 for me a moment. Turn at it because I'm just afraid of misquoting it this morning. The book of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 14. Do you remember those Old Testament sacrifices had to be repeated time after time? For Hebrews 10 and 14, For by one offering he hath made perfected for ever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he said before, this is a covenant, that he will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now withers there's remission of those, there is no more offering for sin. Look at verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an even conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful, his promise. The old system, the high priest, went in once a year in fear and trembling. He offered a, a, a sacrifice for his own sins before he could do it for the people. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that the new and living way is open. The veil of the temple is run, and we can come. In fact, we're told to come with boldness. is not amazing. Come with confidence before the throne of grace, that we obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The veil excluded men from God. The holiest of holies had been a dark place for generations, and the days of the Shekinah glory of God were long gone from him. And men had been outside for hundreds of years. But when Jesus died, the veil was torn and the light shone into the holy place again through the darkness. And God shone his love on mankind and humans like you and me now can come right into the very presence of God. A miracle in the sky. A miracle. In the sanctuary, and our time's tramping on, I want you to take a look at verse 51. I want you to think not only about a miracle in the sky and a miracle in the sanctuary. I want you to think about a miracle in the surroundings because look what happens in verse 51. Verse 52, sorry. Verse 51, Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And then what happens? The earthquakes on the rocks rent, they break. And the graves which were opened... And many bodies of the saints, which slept, arose, and they came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the city and appeared unto many. Miracle in the surroundings. The earth quakes, the rocks break, the graves were open. Do you remember when God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai thousands of years before? In Exodus chapter 19, you remember how the mountains quaked? And so the great earthquake at Calvary signifies to us that the demands of the law were met. And the day of the law was finished and the great day of grace was opened. The curse of the law was abolished. And now days we live in the great day of grace. Paul says when he writes to the Corinthians, now is the accepted time. And now is the day of salvation. Of course we know it will finish with the rapture of the church. But this great day of grace that we live in today, and that's why there's still room and there's still time and there's still opportunity for men and women and boys and girls to hear the gospel and to know the Savior. Please, God, through the foolishness of preaching, Paul says, to save those who believe, man. So I encourage you to bring your family and your friends to the drive-in tonight. I'll not be saying anything to offend them in any way. I'm not one that's interested in denominations or politics or anything like that. I'm only interested in the cross and the blood of Christ. And this great day of gospel preaching that we live in. And this great miracle in the surroundings. The torn veil speaks of how the Lord had conquered sin. And so the, the resurrection speaks of how the Lord conquered death. The earthquake tells us of how the Lord conquered the law. The graves were opened. And the saints arose <coughs> but only after the resurrection. you notice that now. The scriptures careful. After his resurrection, verse 53, so for three days, even though the graves arose, even though the, gra- or the graves were opened, even though the saints arose from them, they didn't go into the city until after his resurrection. Why? Because, of course, Christ is the first fruits of those that slept. When he arose, he was the first fruits of the resurrection. And after he arose, the saints came from the graves and into the city. So we have a miracle in the sky, and we have a miracle in the sanctuary, and we have a miracle in the surroundings. And I'm only getting to where I need to get. Verse 46, this great miracle, the greatest miracle of all, is a miracle of the sacrifice because First 46 tells us that the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice Eli, Eli Lama Sabathani May God, may God why hast thou forsaken me? Brian encouraged me when he prayed this morning he quoted this great central cry from the cross why hast thou forsaken me? Forsaken's an awful word isn't it? forsaken. I wonder, did you ever feel forsaken? It's an awful position to be in, isn't it? I mean, a man can be forsaken by his friends. A wife can be forsaken by her husband. A child can be forsaken by their parents. But to think that the creator God of heaven, as Nathan's reminded us about this morning, the creator of heaven and earth could be forsaken by his Father upon the cross. Forsaken means to leave someone, especially when they need you the most. And Jesus cried, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabathani. My God, my God. Why, well, I thou forsaken me. Paul said, yeah, once Emmanuel's orphan cry, this universe has shaken. It went up single, echoless, my God, I am forsaken. It went up from his holy lips amidst his vast creation so no one else would ever cry that cry of desolation. And Christ cried, Why hast thou forsaken me upon the cross so that we might never be forsaken for all eternity? It's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it amazing to think that the one who hung upon the cross on this greatest day in the history of this world had spent a past eternity with his God? Romans 8, Our Proverbs yet tells us how he was daily his delight. And his delights were with the sons of men, spent in the Father's bosom. And even the 33 years or so that he was on this planet, on this globe, on this world, in human flesh in which we live, even in those 33 years, he was in total harmony and total communion with his Father. I mean, the heavens were opened and the voice came, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then for these moments, upon the cross, he says, why this great question now, hast thou forsaken me? Why? Why? Why did he cry out? Well, because sin separates the human race from God. But then it was him who had no sin, bore the sins of many. He that you know sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, I want you to remember this very important fact this morning. Even though he bore our sin, he never became a sinner. If he had become a sinner, he couldn't have bore our sin. But Christ, in his perfection, he was made sin, the Scripture tells us. He was made sin for us. He took our sin. He bore our sin, never became a sinner, but He took our sin, He bore our sin, He was made sin for us. Paid the great price of our sin that we, me, you, might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Isn't that amazing? I want you to think that, I remember this, that while communion between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, because when we talk about the Godhead, we talk about three and one and one and three, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in these moments upon the cross, while communion between the Son and the Godhead, was broken, the union never was. So he was no less God upon the cross than in a past eternity. He never became less than God. He couldn't do that. So while communion was broken at the cross, the union, the Godhead, was was never broken. And in these hours, as Christ died upon the cross in human flesh for us, in the climax of his sufferings, alone in the darkness, in all its awfulness and all its agony and all its abandonment. The concentrated wrath of God was led upon his Son. And there was one old hymn writer wrote it like this, His mystery all the immortal days. Who can explore his strange design?" And he cries in the darkness, alone in abandonment and in agony and in the awfulness of the surroundings. Why, may God, may God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Arthur Pink says this, it was unparalleled grief. It was a full manifestation of God's love and an awe-inspiring display of justice. I mean, you can't begin to comprehend it. You can't begin to understand it. This miracle and the sacrifice. But as we finish this morning, it shows me three things, and then I'm done. It shows me, first of all, the awfulness of our sin. The awfulness of our sin. I mean, for God's Son to leave the Father's bosom and to come to live a life on this earth and then to be hung upon a Roman cross and made a curse for us and bear what tongue can never tell, what authors can never write down, what hymn writers can never express. To suffer that for us means that our sin must be an awful thing, the awfulness of sin. And then it speaks to me of the holiness of God because he is the high and lofty one and he habits eternity and his name is holy. And God can't look upon sin and our God is holy and he can't look upon sin but for God to permit to send his son to this earth to die for us not only speaks to me of the awfulness of our sin, but it speaks to me of the holiness of our God. He is a holy God. And for, to forsake his Son, to break communion for those moments upon the cross, tells me that our God is holy. The awfulness of our sin, the holiness of our God, and as we look at this this morning, it tells us of the basis of our salvation. And so not a bit of wonder, Charles Wesley, on that great old hymn, wrote this. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should stay for me? It's amazing, isn't it? The miracle in the sky. The miracle in the sanctuary. The miracle in the surrounding, but greatest of all, the miracle in the sacrifice. And He's the one that we come to remember this morning. And so I trust if you're saved this morning and you're walking in fellowship with the Lord, that you sit for the few moments at the Lord's table. Because it's His dying request. He says, This do in remembrance of me. And it's only 15 or 20 minutes. That's all it is. And everybody's week's busy. And their lives are all busy. But the Lord says, this do, just those moments in armours of me. Just 15 minutes or so as we just remember him in his own appointed way. May God bless his word to our hearts this morning. Let's just come before him. Lord, I thank you this morning for your word. Thank you this morning for the cross. Thank you for these great miracles that have thrown our attention this morning. Help us, Lord, never to take it for granted, the cross and the cross work of our Lord Jesus. We pray that you bless our word to our hearts. And there's a leave into a new week that the fragrance of it will go with it. For Christ's sake. Amen. We're closing the hymn. And if you have to leave uh, to go home, I understand that. But for those that remain around the table, let's sing this hymn. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There are a precious fountain free to all. A healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. I must us stand to sing.